0: I'm Andre Bella for Esoterica, a short feature about extraordinary ideas. My Buddhist friends talk about not being attached to material things, but I'm a Taurus, and yes, I love my stuff. One of my prized possessions is a seven-foot brass and silver-faced grandfather clock made in Scotland in the 1700s. So I'd be trying to fool you and myself if I told you that the night of the clock disaster was anything less than a huge tragedy. In 1969, my husband Dean and I were fresh out of college when he was drafted into the Army. We feared he might be sent to Vietnam, but much to our surprise and delight, he was sent to Germany, where we spent two happy years camping in our VW bus, eating bratwurst, and pretending we weren't with the U.S. military. At the end of those two years, we jumped through all the military hoops required for a European out, meaning that Dean was discharged in Germany rather than the U.S., making it possible for us to have an additional 365 days of freedom in Europe and still get a free ride home, compliments of the U.S. Army. We found jobs in St. Andrews, Scotland, known as the home of golf. Dean worked as a greenskeeper on the old course, and I worked in a woolen mill overlooking the legendary royal and ancient clubhouse, famous for its men-only membership. Queen Victoria may have invented golf, but she would never have been allowed to set foot in the clubhouse. Our time in Scotland went too fast. I loved my job at the woolen mill, where my co-workers laughed at my American accent and found my inability to make change from a five-pound note hopelessly funny. In my defense, this was before the Brits, kicking and screaming, changed to a metric monetary system, so I still had to figure out those mind-boggling pounds, shillings, and pence. In Scotland, I spent time scouting out antique shops in the wee town of Pittenweem, only a few miles along the coast from St. Andrews. One day, I fell hopelessly in love with a brass and silver-faced 1700 grandfather clock. With its walnut case and hood, it stood seven feet tall. On the face of the clock, above the hands, was a small ship that moved back and forth above an elegant inscription reading, Tempest Fugit, Time Flies. Yes, I was in love, but the clock was too expensive for greenskeepers and a woolen mill maid's meager salary. But I rationalized this was too good a deal to pass up. Thanks to the U.S. military, I remembered those golden words, Free shipping. The military would transport two humans, an aged VW bus, and all our household goods, which amounted to almost nothing, for free. Perhaps I could just slip a seven-foot grandfather clock in the VW bus and no one would notice. But then there was the problem of how to pay for the clock. Being an entrepreneurial sort, I came up with a plan. There was another beautiful brass and silver face clock of the same vintage in the same antique shop. Not as showy as my seven-footer, it was perhaps better proportioned and equally as elegant. Considering the free shipping option, I figured that if I could get enough money to buy both when I got back to the States, I could sell the smaller one, making enough to pay off the entire loan and have my lovely seven-footer all to myself. I convinced my mother to loan me the money, explaining the practical merits of my plan and promising to sell the smaller clock as soon as I got back to the States. When it was time to go home, the military stuffed everything inside the old VW bus, including the two clocks, reclined like sleeping campers on the bed in the back. When everything arrived in Bayonne, New Jersey, we hopped in the front seat of our van and drove away moving should always be so simple. This is the end of part one. Please join me next week for part two of The Clock Disaster. For Esoterica, I'm Andre Bella. Thanks for listening.